0: are you tired of ticket fees pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more go to tixsplits.com that's t-i-x-b-l-i-t-z.com fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets guaranteed seats no fees tixsplits.com that's t-i-x-b-l-i-t-z.com Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good morning, Mr. Halitech. How are you? Uh,
1: Good morning. I'm I'm great. What an exciting day for for our listeners. We record on Wednesday mornings, uh, and we get the show out usually by Thursday afternoon. Uh, There's a lot of things that are going on today, and we'll get to that in the the last portion of the show, but uh, it's an exciting show. We're going to talk... We have to do due diligence uh, with the with the playoff games that we had this weekend. Uh, of course, we had four games. One of the games had some officiating controversies, and of course, it had to be tied to the Green Bay Packers. We had a huge upset. We had a, the makings of an upset. We had a systematic dismantling of a of a different NFC North team. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, and then. Jack Silverstein from Windy City Gridiron, uh, we taped an interview with him uh, actually a few days ago. He he provides some amazing insight on how the Hall of Fame picks, how they go through what they go through uh, to get down to a a finalist list. And there's two separate uh, Hall of Fame enshrinees this year. The the Veterans Committee, uh, and then there's a committee that chooses contributors, guys like owners and and guys like Steve Sable, which we'll talk about later on in the show. Uh, So normally, during the course of the Hall of Fame selection process, the Veterans Committee and the Contributors Committee, they alternate between years where the Veterans Committee gets one enshrinee and the Contributors Committee gets two, and then the next year they switch. And then there's usually five or six current era uh, players. And current era is anybody that's been retired for between five years and 30 years because they have 25 years of eligibility before they get shoved over into the the Veterans Committee. So we're going to expand on that, and we're going to talk a little bit about who we thought were Bears players that were snubbed, not only in the Hall of Fame, but in the NFL one, Greatest 100 list that came out. And then when when we get done with uh, Jack's interview, we're going to go over uh, some current events that are happening literally as we speak. So, Aaron, we had four great games this weekend. Uh, one, we had a huge upset, and the other one we had... Uh, uh, a dis, like I said before, uh, to lead off the show, a systematic dismantling of the of the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, the first game was the Tennessee Titans versus the the Baltimore Ravens, and I don't think anybody saw what was to come this this past Saturday afternoon.
0: As far as uh, Tennessee Baltimore, um, you know, it's uh, it, I think what happened with them was actually pretty similar to. Um, What ended up happening with the uh, Chiefs game uh, with the Texans, uh, it it started out kind of snowballing the wrong way. Lamar Jackson uh, turning the ball over um, and, you know, looking pretty shaky. um, And, uh, you know, the the Titans have been doing what they've been doing, which is kind of a throwback to a bygone era of running the ball and uh, throwing it very little, uh, playing good defense. Uh, And, uh, you know, the Ravens kind of went to what they've been doing all year and it just didn't work. You know, they've been known for going for it on fourth down a ton and it didn't work. And I think Lamar Jackson was the victim of some bad luck on some turnovers with the ball getting tipped. Uh, And he really, you know, kind of. Uh, I just felt like they were pressing, um, you know, and chasing. And when a team like Tennessee can run the ball with Derrick Henry like that uh, and keep you off the field, it, it, you know, you just they get back on, they press, they turn it over again, and it just goes from there. Um, you know, so certainly um, although I did hear a few people pick that upset uh, just because uh, Baltimore hadn't lost in such a long time and Tennessee is coming off the, you know, the huge high of winning in Foxborough. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me necessarily that they won, but I think the way that they did it was pretty, pretty shocking. I mean, the Ravens really just had looked so dominant. Uh, you're talking about a team that, that set the record for rushing yards in a season and uh, in the Ravens and, you know, this dynamic quarterback and, you know, the defense had been... Playing well, and you know, it just seemed like nothing, nothing worked.
1: Nothing did work. In fact, the the, you know, the Titans got off to a 14, the 14 to nothing lead. Baltimore couldn't do anything. Uh, they had not been stopped all season long on fourth and one. Uh, they got stopped not once but twice. I think once in each half and they were just you could see the frustration on Lamar Jackson's face when he went over to the sideline and hang, you know hung his head on the, the back of the the uh, bench it was just an absolute dismantling of what was the number 1 seed in all of football to right. your point they the the uh, Baltimore started off 2 and 2 i think they even got beat by Cleveland of all teams Uh, And then they reeled off 10 straight wins and, you know, or I'm sorry, 12 straight wins to finish 14 and two. Uh, But they, you know, this, this argument that some people have that a bye week tends to make a team come out flat. Well, not only that, but they didn't play most of their starters in the last game of the year. So now they have literally had, you know, three weeks of rest, and they, you know, they came out flat, and it was it was so apparent if you start watching the game from the very beginning. You know, the final score wasn't indicative of how how much of a one-sided game it was. Uh, the uh, the Baltimore scored a touchdown in garbage time in the fourth quarter. They failed on a two-point conversion, but Tennessee ended up winning that game, 28 to 12 and this is a team that was nine and seven that barely got into the playoffs but as you said they they gelled at the right time Um, you know they benched their quarterback Marcus Mariota and they brought in this guy Tannehill who's been nothing more than a journeyman and he just lit things up and that passing game helped to open up the running game for Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry has just been, without doubt, probably, you can't say without doubt and probably in the same sentence, can you? Without doubt, <laughs> without doubt, he's been the best player in the league for the last three or four weeks. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, Derrick Henry in his last eight games has 1,273 rushing yards. So that's that. I mean, it's 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 ridiculous. And and I, you know, and Tannehill's been solid, but I see a lot of people giving Tannehill all this credit, and it's like this is the Derrick Henry story. I mean, Tannehill has 160 passing yards in two playoff games, has been solid, has made the plays he's need to make. Don't get me wrong, has hit the deep throws on the play action that he needs to do. But I mean, <clears throat> Derrick Henry is averaging at 6.27 yards per carry, has 11 touchdowns. This is an all-time record for the most rushing yards in any eight-game stretch in NFL history. Like, it's it's history. You're watching right now. And people always just want to – it's always about the quarterback, you know. But, I mean, I think Derrick Henry is the story. And, it, you know, and it's not – I mean, this is a guy that they tried to trade last year so it's it's a little bit out of nowhere i mean he you know everybody thought he was going to be this guy coming out of alabama but he hasn't really been you know this dominant and it starts with their offensive line they've got uh you know really good uh they got two first round picks on the offensive line saffold their left guard is 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 a monster um you know and i maybe all they needed was a was a quarterback that's a legitimate threat to hit that deep ball just to loosen things up but i mean it's just a real case of they know everybody knows what they're going to do and they just can't stop it
1: Tennessee Titans started the season 2 and 4 uh, of course the bears started 3 and 5 the bears finished 8 and 8 and this team didn't finish much better they they snuck into the playoffs at, as the sixth seed with a nine and seven record, and it's just been amazing to to watch this team. And yeah. when when you look at when you look at their record, you know they lost uh, they lost two of their last three games. They lost to Houston. They lost to New Orleans, yeah. uh, both home games. And then they went into Houston and. Just dismantled Houston, 35 to 14, to make it into the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then they could be the first team in history, I believe, in the NFL playoffs to beat a number one, a number two, and a number three seed and route to the Super Bowl. The Packers were a six seed back in 2010, but I don't think they they had to go through that same because I think there was an upset and they didn't play the. The number two seed in, or the number one seed uh, mm-hmm. in in their playoff run, Go but ahead. you know here here they are they're they're going to Kansas City and Kansas City's defense has given up a lot of points which we'll talk about after we get done talking about the San Francisco game in in against Minnesota. So this is this is going to be an interesting game. This is going to be. Uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun championship weekend. With yep. with you know, it's with the only way it could be better is obviously if the Bears were involved, but mm-hmm. uh, you know maybe maybe next year. So, uh, Baltimore gets absolutely throttled by Tennessee, and then later in on Saturday, Minnesota traveled to uh, to San Francisco. Uh, I have a beef with the NFL schedule. And I think I mentioned it last week, but why Minnesota is the only team, the only team of the the winners from, from wildcard weekend to have short rest. They played on six days rest. Two teams played on seven days rest and one team played on eight days between games. Because you have both AFC teams playing Saturday and both NFC teams playing Sunday. Why not have both AFC divisional round games on Saturday and both NFC divisional round games on Sunday? They've never done it that way. I don't think they had ever done the same conference in the wildcard round before. And when it first came out, I was ecstatic because uh, just from what I just said – you're going to get the short end of the stick one team, and that one team happened to be Minnesota. And, you know, know, Minnesota came out swinging, though. Uh, You know, they, they, Jimmy Garoppolo led a great drive to open the game. Minnesota came right back down and scored, and you're thinking, okay, here we go. This is going to be a high-scoring game. And then, you know, slowly but surely, San Francisco just kept on, kept on, kept on. They outscored Minnesota 17-3 to the rest of the way to, to punch their ticket to host the winner of Sunday's game, which was Seattle and Green Bay. Yeah,
0: unfortunately, I, I, I mean, not unfortunately, because I wanted Minnesota to lose, but unfortunately uh, for them, I don't think they had much of a chance because San Francisco got healthy over their bye week they got their offensive lineman that they had been missing back they got their linebacker Quan alexander back um and you know they just got after cousins and i think the the difference um and then also the minnesota had the really unfortunate luck of uh feeling getting uh you know a, a cleat to the ankle during the practice during practice so he had to have stitches and that was a bad injury. It was like his ankle and his heel. Um, so he was slowed uh, for sure. And I just, you know, I didn't think that Minnesota had much of a shot, but then when 40, the 49ers got back, all those guys, they had been missing. Um, you know, their defense is just, it's just really, really good. They've got a lot of playmakers on it. Uh, and, you know, on offense, they, they do what they need to do. I mean, uh, Garoppolo is not super flashy, um, but they they have a really strong uh, play-action offense, and they can run the ball. They have a lot of interchangeable running backs, um, you know, not one guy that ran for a huge amount of yards, just a bunch of guys that have run for, you know, five, 600. And, and uh, you know, Shanahan's a good coach. He's smart the way they mix the plays up, and, you know, they, they control the ball, and Garoppolo You know, as long as he doesn't turn the ball over, he's he's pretty solid. Uh, And then they have Kittle and Kittles, you know, Kittles like Kelsey or Gronk or some of these guys. It's just it's almost an impossible cover uh, for teams. So it's you know, I'm not surprised that Minnesota um, ran out of gas or, you know, didn't have the uh, I think they kind of shot their wad against New Orleans. Um, And, uh, you know, that's fine with me. (laughs)
1: Oh, our, our, our loathing of Minnesota is definitely showing through the, the, um, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo only, only threw the ball 19 times. He only completed 11 for 131 yards. He did have a pick. He had the touchdown on the first drive of the game, but Coleman 22 carries for 105 yards. Uh, Mossert, Oh, I don't even really know about uh, Right. 12, 12 carries for 58 yards. Uh, Brita had 17 yards on eight carries. Sam, Samuel, their, their wide receiver, did a jet sweep for six yards and uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was credited with four rushes for a grand total of zero yards. So you look at that, that's uh 22, 42, 47 rushing plays to only 19 pass plays and on yep. the other side of the ball, Minnesota just didn't have the ball. They only ran 39 plays, according to CBS Sports. Cousins was 21-29, but only for 172 yards. He had a touchdown. He did have a pick. Right. Uh, Cook, only nine rushes for 18 yards. Two yards a carry. Yeah. Uh, and then their their other running back ran one time for three yards. So it was a slow but steady dismantling of the Minnesota Vikings. Now, before, you know, you know we like to slam the Vikings. We like to slam the Packers because that's what we do as Bears fans. But <laughs> you got to give credit to the Minnesota Vikings because they did have – they had a pretty decent year. Mm-hmm. The, only team, the only team they couldn't beat was Chicago. Right. Chicago swept the series. So it's uh, – uh, yeah. It's going to be a tough division next year. I don't think Detroit's going to be much of a problem again, but I think that, that there is not a lot separating Green Bay, Minnesota, and Chicago, even though record-wise this year there was a big separation. But when you look back at what the Bears did against the Vikings, what they did against the Packers, won, both Packer games were one-score games, and they should have won both games. OK, so instead of the Minnesota being 10 and 6 or I'm sorry, instead of Green Bay being 13 and 3, they're 11 and 5. The Bears are 10 and 6. The Vikings are 10 and 6. Who gets into the playoffs? The Bears do because they swept the Vikings. Right. So, you know, and if you just take those two Packer games in the San Diego Miss field goal game, now the, the Bears win the division. So that's how close the Bears are. We'll get into more about the Bears in the second half of the show. Sunday's games, wow, wow, wow. Sunday's game, Houston gets off to a huge lead, and I posted this on Twitter. I don't know if I posted it on my personal Twitter page or on our Hall Twitter page, but imagine Bears Twitter universe if – the Bears would have gotten off to a 24 to nothing lead in the first quarter, score 31 points, and lose by 20? Yeah, it's amazing. Imagine what's going through the minds of the Houston fans that you know on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, well, and also Kansas City. I mean, Kansas
0: City uh, has seen some some bad playoff losses. Andy Reid has a <clears throat> propensity to to. Have teams that kind of choke in the playoffs, so it was looking like another, uh you know, another one of those. uh You know, and uh, of course, Bears fans were all talking, you know, this is the uh, the uh, Mitch Trubisky Bowl, the Son of a Mitch Bowl, you know, because it's the two two quarterbacks and blah blah. For me, I just enjoyed. I mean, I can separate now. You know, it's not easy, but I can separate in my mind the fact that. These guys could have been bears, and I just enjoy both Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes playing. And these are just two exciting, dynamic young players, um, you know. And they're they're really you know going head to head. And and Deshaun you know came out and uh, the Texans came out and went right down the field. And it, the the Chiefs I think a, a lot very similar to the way the Ravens started out turnovers and drops i mean there were drops in almost every game that were huge uh you know we'll talk about the packer game but there's just huge drops in that game huge drops you know and from players i mean you had uh you know uh, uh, kelsey dropping balls were uh, watkins dropping balls you had you know uh, tyreek hill making big drops um you know uh their special teams was was just freaking out you know and and doing things uncharacteristic of them you know that's a that's a Dave Tobe special teams unit so you don't expect them to to screw up like that but they just weathered the storm and and when you have Patrick Mahomes you're really never out of a game and you know with the weapons that he has um, you know they got that big uh, punt return and uh, that really sparked them and you know it was just uh it was just like an avalanche from there. I think Bill O'Brien did himself a huge disservice, you know, a number of times going for that fake punt. Um, you know, it just I don't know, like Bill O'Brien he has a propensity to make some questionable decisions. Um, you know, and they just really after their outburst of twenty four points, they really just couldn't do anything. And the Chiefs defense Although, you know, they, they gave up they gave a fair amount of points in that game, has been very good over the last five games. They've been giving up only about 11, 12 points a game. So it was kind of surprising to see the Texans even do that to them. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, the Texans really only have Hopkins and Deshaun. They, you know, their running backs, uh, Hyde and uh, Duke Johnson, are okay. Um you Know in their offensive line, even though they've got some some names on it, um, really sh- doesn't play as well as it should. Uh, and they, it, you know, they get Deshaun Watson hurt and hit a lot. Um, so you know, the Chiefs, I mean, just uh, like seven drives, seven scores, <laughs> it's just unbelievable. You it know, it was like, yeah, like it's it, just an avalanche of points.
1: It was, it was crazy. Uh, you, you talked about the, uh, the head-to-head between Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. Here's a few stats for our listeners. Deshaun Watson almost threw as many completions as, as Mahomes threw passes. He completed 31 of 52 passes for 388 with two touchdowns. Mahomes only threw the ball 35 times. One out of every seven attempts were touchdown passes. Think about that for a minute. 23 completions, 321 yards, five touchdowns. You're right about the running game. The Between Hyde, uh, Deshaun Watson was their, their second runner. Uh, between the two of them, they only had 80-some-odd yards. You know who the number one rusher was for Kansas City on Sunday? Uh, no. It was Patrick Mahomes. Oh. Mahomes led all rushers, uh, Hyde for, for the Texans had 44 yards on 13 carries, Patrick Mahomes, seven carries, 53 yards with a long of 21. Uh, Williams had a 26 yard, uh, rush for Kansas city scored two TDs, uh, and, uh, he only, but he only had 47 yards on 12 carries. So he didn't even average four yards a carry. So as you mentioned, you know, Kelsey, you know, he was targeted 12 times. He, he dropped one or two of them, but he caught 10 for 134 yards with three touchdown receptions. And that's probably the, uh, you know, that that's your offense right there. And how we talked a little bit about the Bears being close. Now we're going to talk a little bit about what the Bears are missing. And you can see how evident it is right here. The running game that, that Kansas City did, uh, that they showed in Sunday's game, wasn't that great. But the passing game was phenomenal. The key to that passing attack was what? Tight end. And what do the Bears need the most on offense besides an offensive line? tight end so so interesting interesting when you take a look at the teams in the playoffs versus what the bears needs are you know the we will get to this in the second half of the show but trubisky has got to be an expert on the rpo and he's got to have a tight end that can be effective for him The last game of the weekend was Seattle and Green Bay. And, of course, no weekend in the NFL is complete without officiating controversy. And there were a couple of controversies in this game. One went against both teams. Early in the game, uh, Green Bay clearly recovered a fumble, even though there was a small scrum on what was ruled an incomplete pass. It got challenged And it was determined that, yes, there was a fumble on the play. The the receiver was not down by contact. It was clearly recovered. But because it wasn't a clear and immediate recovery uh, that shows no scrum, which is a rule that's got to be changed, the ball was awarded going back to Seattle. That happened earlier in the game. Later in the game, when... Seattle had a boatload of momentum, and they needed to get the ball back just one time, trailing 28-23. to 23. Got to give credit to the play design because Aaron Rodgers found Jimmy Graham open. Is He was about four yards from the line of scrimmage, needed to get five more yards. He was tackled short of the line to gain. It was clearly short of the line to gain. And it was ruled a first down. And review, because it's an automatic review, because it's under two minutes, they somehow don't have, with 47 cameras in Green Bay for this game, they don't have a camera angle that shows that he shorted that first down. So let's rehash. You see the play happen live. You see Jimmy Graham's helmet hit the ground just shy of the yellow line. But when you go to replay, there's a, there's a shot from the sideline from behind the action showing that Jimmy Graham's elbow in the arm that's carrying the ball hits the ground before his helmet does. So at that point, the play is dead. He's continuing to move forward and sliding. His helmet hits the ground, and then they actually place the ball about two feet beyond... Where he was initially down by contact from his helmet. So, you know, we were joking at, at work yesterday, and I work in a facility that's loaded with Packer fans, and we were talking about both Bears needs in the upcoming draft and Green Bay's needs, and they said that uh, one of the Packer fans says, "Well, we we could definitely use some tight end help as well," and I said, "Well, at least you got a you've got a tight end." on your team where the officials think his helmet is actually the football and he laughed and he acknowledged the fact that there were two green bay packer fans standing with me and they both agreed that that jimmy Grant did not make that first down
0: yeah i mean i i was with you um i think i've i've also seen some angles the yellow line is not official the yellow line. This is just the TV. So, um, if you, I've seen some some still shots and some replays where you know when his elbow goes down, which is the first point of contact, which makes him down. He was across the official mark, which is the. Um, but what I think they failed is they didn't measure. Um, the, the unfortunate part is that you know and everybody knows that there's just no way in the world that they can be exact with the 10 yards i mean you're when you're talking about a game of inches and you know um you know somebody moves the ball one way this way and then you when when they measure uh you know a a first down is announced by the nose of the football it's just it's impossible the problem i had with that whole thing was you you have the replay clearly showing one thing and you know um it it looked really bad. Now, upon further review, and they even said this weird thing where they got more footage, they looked at additional footage, um, which I guess maybe didn't have the yellow line. Um, It's like, okay, so make up your mind. I mean, this is again why every stadium should be outfitted with the exact same camera setup for the purposes of officiating. You can't have games that have better TV and camera crews have different you know get different results because of it the nfl you know the the multi-billion dollar industry that it is needs to spend money on having uniform and standardized cameras that are used for officiating and they need to you know take care of the officials and make sure that they're full-time well-trained you know uh, etc etc i do feel bad for the officials um because we're all sitting at home watching on our huge HD televisions with the benefit of replay and slow-mo and this and that. And then you get, you know, a million people on Twitter who, who capture it and replay it and, you know, and show you all these different things. You know, they get one chance to to make the play. Now, that being said, you know, Green Bay continues to just get calls. I mean, the, the people have put up that graphic where... The number of first downs due to penalties um, for in Green Bay's favor is like enormously. They are they lead the league by far and away in getting first downs on penalties. So for whatever reason, um, you know it's you know it's not just our bear fan conspiracy theories. The Green Bay Packers are like the Michael Jordan of of football, and they get every call um, going their way. Now they did get. <clears throat> you know, maybe screwed over on the fumble recovery earlier. I don't know. But my thing is that as as the NFL, as the game, you just open yourself up to being questioned and you put the refs in a really impossible situation with the way that, you know, it's covered and the, the, the replays that they have to use. It just should be, you know, they need to have, You know, either the eye in the sky for the New York office or whatever, but they've got to get to a point where, you know, every NFL stadium is outfitted with the same cameras, Um, you know, especially for the playoff games. I mean, this is, you know, teams are going home. (laughs) Like, uh, But as far as the game, though, I I have to say that, you know, Seattle – Um, you know, they are, unfortunately, all they have is Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and, and, uh, the kid Malik Turner had just a brutal drop, uh, on the Seahawks last drive that really, um, you know, was as much a part of them losing the game as, as that first down was. Um, and, and Aaron Rodgers I mean, the guy just, you know, was killed them on third down. I mean, just making ridiculous throws you know some of those the one throw to graham he just put it in the absolute perfect spot um you know i mean i I, you know i i hate the packers a ton but that guy's just you know he just continues to make these amazing plays and he's not necessarily throwing the ball 40 50 times a game and having these monster games but you know, they're another team where now you have three of the four teams in the league that are basically, you know, kind of running old school football, you know, except for the Chiefs. And I just think it's hilarious that, the you know, the Bears finally get this supposedly offensive minded, uh, you know, coach. And now half the teams in the league are back to running like, you know, 1990 Bill Parcells, Ron Earhart, uh you know, <laughs> smash mouth football. Um, it's just it's just funny uh, how it goes, how how things go in cycles. And, you know, I mean, you've got even the, the Giants GM Ron Gettleman or Dave Gettleman saying, oh, well, all the, you know, because uh, basically off of a graphic that I, one of the networks put up about how, uh, you know, all the top passing um, teams in the league are not in the playoffs and all the top running teams are. So. It, it, you know things go in cycles and uh, you know it's it feels like it's a you know a, a return to to the old school and maybe you know some of this uh, you know new school flash that dominated for the last few years is, is, is fading away.
1: Aaron Rodgers, here's your winning the winning quarterbacks and how many yards they threw uh, in for in the games over the weekend. Mahomes had 321 yards. Uh, Garoppolo only had 131 yards. Aaron Rodgers had 243 yards. And my computer is locked up, so I can't see what the, uh, the winner. Oh, here it comes. Uh, Tannehill didn't throw for Jack. Tannehill, 88 yards, but two touchdowns. Yeah, but it was Derrick Henry that ran the ball for 30 times for 195 yards. Uh, Does that sound anything like the 1977 Bears? Yeah. With with Avellini throwing the ball, but Walter Payton being the entire offense? Well, that's, you know,
0: I mean, that gives you hope. Like, it's like if Nagy can just, you know, adjust and and say, okay, like, this is what we, you know, like, the high-flying fireworks aren't going off. So – now it's time to figure out how to win games so you you know and i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but you know you just see you know you got to read the tea leaves and see okay like this is this is who we got and we got to we got to adjust to our talent i mean i think the titans are a perfect example of a team that has adjusted to their talent
1: absolutely and then when you talk a look, we take a look at schemes what team better exemplifies that than the Baltimore Ravens right. who took, took a, a quarterback and molded their entire offensive game plan around his strengths. And, you know, they, you know, they led the league in rushing and the second team behind them was almost a thousand yards. They're, I think they're the first team in the history of the league, if not maybe the second to rush for over 3000 yards in a season. Mm-hmm. But in his passing game, well everybody wants to talk about Patrick Mahomes and his goofy arm angles. Look at what Lamar does. Sidearm, yeah. three quarter yeah. arm shuffle passes. He does he does everything that Mahomes has been just glorified doing, except for maybe throwing the ball left-handed. I don't think I've seen that happen. Right. That wraps up the uh, the the review of of the uh, NFL playoff games this weekend. We now head into Championship Sunday, probably the most exciting weekend of the year. Um, and uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about those two games coming up. But first, we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsor, Tickspits.com. And when we come back, Jack Silverstein joins us, uh, and it's a very fascinating interview. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. So you're looking for
0: great ticket deals. Who? Is- Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere
1: ticksplits.com is uh, has been our sponsor ever since our podcast began and and they have no service fees so if you want to spend some money and, and get a little bit closer to the action go to ticksplits.com that's t i x b l i t z.com we are absolutely thrilled to have with us once again uh, Chicago sports historian uh, Jack Silverstein Jack, how are you today?
2: Um, I'm doing great, Mike. How are you, man?
1: Uh, man, it was a tough season to get through for the Bears, and, and uh, it's tougher watching the Blackhawks and the Bulls right now. So, uh, of course, we don't talk about those sports on this podcast, but maybe uh, on another one we can talk about it. <laughs> um, but before we do, and since we're talking a little bit about other sports, uh one quick question what, what do you think the White Sox are doing in their offseason
2: I mean it looks like they're doing great I actually don't really follow baseball anymore I kind of fell off I was a Cubs fan I am a Cub I shouldn't say was I am a Cubs fan um but I kind of fell off with like being a day-to-day baseball follower I know the buzz around the Sox is great um and all my Sox fan friends are thrilled, so I'm wishing, you know, I'm hoping for the best for them.
1: Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. But back to uh, back to business. Uh, a lot of talk going on about the uh, top 100 players of all time. Uh, yeah. The Bears landed 10 players on that list. Uh, they've got 28 players and coaches in the Hall of Fame that had their primary. Uh, uh, work done with the Bears, and they actually have 35 Hall of Famers when you count guys like Alan Page, uh, who did most of their work with another team, but did spend some time with Chicago. Uh, but as always, there's there's always some people that that we think should be there, and and I reached out to you a, a few weeks ago to talk about this because it's important. And at Halitech Hall, we spend a little bit about history, the Bears' history, in every podcast. And since the season is over, and you know this uh, this episode will air uh, right before the uh, the conference title games, it's nice to take a look at, at Bears' history because there's so many fans that just don't know uh, a lot about Bears' history, except for maybe the last. 10 20 years and obviously the last 10 or 20 years has been bereft of any real talent except for the 2006 team that went to the super bowl uh so let's take a look at at what's going on right now with the bears uh in in terms of hall of fame nominations uh they've got two guys nominated uh, for the special edition of uh, NFL 100, there's going to be 10 inch Chinese in addition to the normal seven coming in this year. And the Bears have two nominees. Tell us a little bit about those two guys.
2: Yeah. So what's going on is that... <clears throat> Ordinarily, the way that the Hall of Fame works is there are, a, there are a couple of different groups. The main one that people tend to focus on is what's called the modern era nominees. So when Brian Erlacher went into the Hall of Fame um, a couple of years ago, he was it's called the modern era nominee. And that is all players who have been retired for five years and then you're eligible for that for 25 years. When you hear someone talked about as a first ballot Hall of Famer, they've gone in in the first year of eligibility of those 25 years. And that's the majority of the Hall of Famers in a given year, you can have up to five and typically there are five. Um, Then they have the senior committee and what's called the contributors. The contributors are anyone who is not uh, being honored for being a player or being a coach, these are general managers, broadcasters, um, officials, uh, league administrators, owners, owners, owners. yep, absolutely. And the induction of these two groups, the seniors and the contributors, alternates every year. One year one of them gets one and the other gets two, and then the next year they switch. Um, or or a max, a max of one or two. For the hundredth year, which we all know, this is the uh, hundredth year of uh, NFL football. They've expanded that. They have a group of, they're going to have a group of 10 seniors and they're going to then have three contributors and two coaches. So that's going to be 15 people in that group, plus the five for the modern era. So you're looking at a a max of 20 Hall of Fame enshrinees for this final year. And the list of finalists for the seniors, as Mike said, includes two former Bears, Jim Covert and Ed Sprinkle. Um, Let's start with Covert. Jimbo... Obviously, we know him. I think people are probably pretty familiar with Jim Covert, um, offensive tackle in the 1980s, starter on the 85 team. Uh, I'm going to read you the 1980s all-decade team um, because this is pretty significant. These are teams put out uh, for every decade of football, and they're voted for by the Hall of Fame voters. Okay, Joe Montana, Walter Payton, Eric Dickerson, Jerry Rice, Steve Largent, Kellen Winslow. And here's the offensive line. Anthony Munoz, John Hanna, Russ Grimm, Dwight Stevenson and Jimbo Covert. And everyone I just named except for Covert is in the Hall of Fame. As our second team members, Dan Fouts, Riggins, Lofton, Monk, Ozzie Newsom, Gary Zimmerman, Munchak and Mike Webster. That's the offense. There's only four guys on that offense, first or second team, not in the hall. And Jimbo's the only one, first team, who's not. So that's pretty significant. And, you know, of the list of 10, um, or I'm sorry, they have 20 finalists right now, and they voted yesterday. So today is uh, Thursday, January 9th that we're recording this. They voted uh, January 8th, yesterday. Um, of the list of 20, it's tough. It's It's obviously a really good list. You know, one of the challenges that the senior committee faces every year is that there's this tremendous backlog because of the way that the voting is done, guys who are deserving sometimes don't get in. And obviously, also what happens is that not everybody agrees on who's deserving, but you'll have people who are championing certain players. And this happens a lot within fan bases. So if you talk to Washington fans, everybody's saying, why isn't Joe Jacoby you know, in the Hall of Fame. If you're talking to Dallas fans, it's why isn't Drew Pearson in the Hall of Fame? If you were talking to Green Bay fans for a very long time, it was why isn't Jerry Kramer in the Hall of Fame? He got in uh, on the senior ticket. So for the Bears, you've got Jimbo Covert. Um, obviously, that there's a lot of talented, deserving people on that list. Um, I think Jimbo is for me, the, the guys who I think are clear cut, you know, I want to see in our uh, covert uh, Roger Craig, Duke Slater. Do you know Duke Slater?
1: I remember the name.
2: Okay, so uh, Duke Slater was one of the original stars of the National Football League in the 1920s, a tackle. Um, uh, and when George Howes in 1946 put an all-time team together that he honored at a charity game at Wrigley Field between the Bears and the Giants, Duke Slater was one of his two tackles. And the other one was a guy, Pete Henry, who was in the inaugural Hall of Fame class. So Duke Slater is another one um, who I, I, for me, I think is, is long overdue. And then uh, Randy Gratishar, who I wasn't able to watch linebacker, um, but those four guys and then man it's just such a, a massive list uh my colleague jeff burkus to get to the other bear on their Jim uh ed sprinkle you know again we talked about the the decade team well ed sprinkle is on the 1940s team um the meanest man in football ed sprinkle so for listeners if you if you don't know ed sprinkle he played in the Mid-40s and uh, through the early 50s, he was an end. This is a guy whose career started before 1950, and 1950 is a key cutoff year in NFL history because that is the year that they changed the substitution rule and created what's called free substitutions. And that rule is what created, um, at the time, they'd be specialty players. That that rule is what ended the two-way era because you could freely substitute. So you could have players who were on just offense or just defense. Prior to that, you didn't have that. So if you look at the positions, and this gets into the NFL 100, which we're going to speak about as well. If you look at the position names prior to 1950, you'll see end, guard, tackle, back, different kinds of back, halfback. Um and the evolution of the positions is such that they all started as two-way players. So what is an end? And what does this have to do with Ed Sprinkle? An end lined up, as you can imagine, on the end of the formation. This was as a pass rusher and as a pass catcher. So defensive end, tight end, split end, what you know, we used to call wide receivers a little before my time. That all comes from this idea of the end. So Ed Sprinkle was effectively a defensive end, and he was a pass catcher. He caught passes from Sid Luckman and Johnny Lujak and Bobby Lane, and um, known primarily as a defensive player. That's really where he stood out with like that meanness, but um, but a great uh, a, a great end, a great pass catcher as well. And um, if you if you want to learn more about Ed Sprinkle, I recommend you go on Twitter and you reach out to my colleague, Jeff. He is uh, Gridiron Born. That's Gridiron B-O-R-N. And you ask you ask Jeff about Ed Sprinkle and he will be delighted to no end to uh, to tell you about you. Tell him Jack Silverstein sent you uh, so you so N-
1: have to tell him that I'm going to be reaching out to him to come on this show
2: all right all right i'll let him know i'll let him know so so that is that's the group and you know if you look at the bears one i'm sorry if you look at the nfl 100 list and you look at the list of defensive ends the bears have two guys there they've doug Atkins, but also a guy named bill hewitt and bill hewitt Great defensive end. He was nicknamed the offside kid because he timed the snap count, but also a tremendous receiver. So that's kind of who Ed Sprinkle is. Great pass rusher, fierce defender, known as the meanest man in football, also an excellent receiver, Um, won the 46 championship with the Bears. And those two guys are facing off against 18 others, you know, Roger, for example, is one of the players on this list. Roger Craig, who was Offensive Player of the Year, who was a three-time champion, who was the first player ever to rush and receive for a thousand yards each in the same season. How
1: he um, not in the Hall of Fame already?
2: Well, that's that's a big question, and you've got you've got. Um, I mean, I would have to go through and look at exactly what happened every single year of the voting and let's see how quickly I can actually pull that up. But Roger Craig, for whatever reason, you know, he was a four-time pro bowler. He was one-time all pro and the way that the, all right, so here's another for your listeners. If you don't know how the hall of fame voting works, there's a maximum of five. So, you know, every hall of fame, as far as the big ones, I, I actually don't know a lot about the hockey, um, Hall of Fame. But baseball, we know that they've got a ballot and you can mark up to 10 and there's a percentage. You have to get 75 percent of the vote to go in. And basketball, there are a number of different committees. And the way that football works is you start with the nomination list, which is massive because anybody in the world can nominate players. And then the selection committee, which is made up of one voter per city, per team. So Chicago has one voter, like a voter representative, which is Dan Pompey. And then, you know, New York or New Jersey, because they have two teams, there are essentially two voters out of that market. So that's 32 voters. And then there are 16 at large voters, just a mix of other people. So there's 48 people total. And they take that initial list it, this year it was 22 people. It could be, it could be any number. They get that down to twenty-five, and then they get that down to fifteen, and those are the finalists. And then they whittle that down to ten, and then to five, and then they do a yes/no vote on all five of the final people, and you have to get eighty percent of those yes/no votes to go into the Hall of Fame. So every year they're making these decisions um about who is going to go in it's not as simple as like well this guy he was a hall of famer so he should go in this is what happened with Terrell Owens who we'll talk about shortly and where where Terrell a few years in a row wasn't going in so why didn't Roger Craig go in it, it, it you know it just was never his year um but obviously anybody who watched him they they know what he contributed to a dynasty and, and and not just not just doing it in the regular season, but a magnificent postseason performer. And take a look at his postseason numbers. Take a look at his Super Bowl numbers. A huge huge piece of that San Francisco offense. So um, so we'll see. I mean, I think Roger Craig has a great case. And oh man, who else is up? Cliff Branch, Cliff Harris. Uh, A couple OGs from the Packers. Um, uh, Cecil Isbell is one who I'd like to see go in just from having read about him, having watched a little bit about him. I recommend that if you're interested, you go online and check out the videos that the NFL put together when they were doing the the, the NFL 100 team and it's like it shouldn't surprise me that Bill Belichick can give you full scouting reports on players from every decade of pro football but it did a little bit and you should see Bill Belichick breaking down <laughs> the strengths and weaknesses of guys from the 20s, 30s and 40s as if he was talking about, you know, next week's game against Miami, Tennessee, whoever. It was pretty amazing. So um, he yeah, he actually yeah.
1: did you know Belichick, you know when you—I recorded every single one of the top 100 shows. Oh, you did. I I go back and I I watch it, uh, you know, I DVR it, and just listening to to him talk was—it was—it was actually—it was was inspirational to hear what he had to say and all of the homework he did. It was absolutely amazing.
2: What did he say about that? Because I, I didn't, I didn't see the behind the scenes of it. I just saw what he said, and I was blown away. So, what kind of homework was he doing? Uh,
1: I just it's 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 an opinion that I have based on how he was able, like you said, to give a scouting report like he's going to be playing against these guys right. the following week. He was just absolutely thorough. Uh, of course, you don't expect Belichick to be anything but thorough. But to hear him talk in the terms he talked about of players from the 20s and 30s and 40s was – it was inspiring.
2: It's it's incredible. Yeah, it truly is. So so those are the two guys from the Bears, um, Covert and Sprinkle. I I just – I would want to (laughs) – I'd want to prepare Bears fans – um, for disappointment. And I want to really prepare all fans for disappointment because first of all, it seems like with everything these days in sports, any honor, the hall of fame, all-star game, pro bowl, all pro, any, anything, gold gloves, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, we saw the, we're talking about hockey. You saw the list. I think the NH, I think the NHL put it out Somebody put maybe nhl.com they put out a list of the 10 best NHL players of the 2010s and somehow Patrick Kane wasn't on the list. Now I'm not a big hockey guy so I don't have that context to be able to say who I would have knocked off but I don't know man even I was like man <laughs> it's like the the points, the clutch goals, the three rings but we're at a point where there's 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 so many opportunities for dissent And I think that you're going to hear a lot of angry sports fans when this senior list comes out. So let's keep our fingers crossed for Jim Covert in particular. Um, You know, Eddie Sprinkle was on that 1940s all-decade list, certainly a a worthy person as well. But I'm really keeping my fingers crossed for, for Covert, for Slater, and for Roger Craig. And just taking a look now at Roger Craig's candidacy, he was first eligible for the hall in 1999. he wasn't he wasn't among the semifinalists, the final twenty five which is really the first real uh, cutoff. He wasn't a f- semi-finalist until his eleventh year of eligibility. So from ninety nine to what is ninety nine oh, oh this, or four five or seven oh eight Oh, nine. Is that right? Yeah. Um, well,
1: 99 the... to nine would be 11 years.
2: Right. So that was the first time that he was a semifinalist. And, you know, the year after his first year of eligibility, two of his former teammates, Montana and Lott, were first ballot Hall of Famers. And, you know, Charles Haley has gone in. And, um,. So let's see who else played with him where's Jerry Rice Rice is in here somewhere yep Rice went in obviously yeah, first yeah. ballot 2010 and let's see who are the running backs alright let's take a look at that because that is another question when Hall of Fame voters look at a given ballot and look at a given collection of players they do look at positions and there tends to be something of a pecking order and and Roger Craig just was not getting in. So here are the running backs who got in um, after Craig's eligibility began. Marcus Allen was a first ballot guy in 03. All right, no problem there. Barry, of course, first ballot 04. And uh, let's see, Thurman Thomas, second year of eligibility, 2007.
1: I would 12, put eight, Craig in before him.
2: You would have put Craig in before Thurman?
1: Yep. Okay, why is that? Just, just go over what we just talked about. He was such an integral part in the, the 49ers dynasty that, you know, Thurman Thomas, you know, on his own merits, yeah, absolutely, he deserves to be there. But Roger Craig, with, his, with what he accomplished as part of that dynasty— mm-hmm. I have to put him in first
2: okay so then here was all right I won't read this guy yet because this guy took a long time then you had Emmett in 2010 uh in his in his first year deserving Marshall Falk in his first year 2011 to to me deserving
1: yeah Curtis,
2: Curtis Martin went in in 2011 in his second year okay Jerome Bettis went in in 2015 in his fifth year I think I would have put Roger Craig in ahead of uh, ahead of the bus.
1: Um, Maybe Martin too, but uh, I can't comment about it because I don't re- I don't know much about. I'd have to go and in, in research yeah. what he did and how he did it before uh, before I could comment on it.
2: No, understood. Tomlinson went in first ballot, 2017. i proud that was that was well deserved, and okay. So then we have. Another guy who went in with Tomlinson and is one of the great challenges, um, and you see this obviously in football because it's not just about numbers and production. There's a level of longevity that has to be attained, which is a challenge in football in a way that it's not in other sports because of the injuries. So Terrell Davis. Terrell Davis was eligible in 2007 and got into the hall – in his 11th year. And obviously, Terrell Davis, you're talking about a guy who with maybe three more years of healthy football is a first ballot Hall of Famer. You're probably right. He had from 95 to 98. Yeah, what he did in the post, he was a 100-yard back over each of those seven games that they played when they won the two Super Bowls. He went over 100 in each one of those seven games. And now you've got Edger and James, um, who's who he looks he looks good. So that's the sort of thing. All right. So when you think about the reason that I, I I run through this is that I want listeners to understand when you're watching the Hall of Fame and you're watching these rounds of votes fall out, that's what's going on. People are judging you against your positional peers and then they're judging you, obviously, against just everybody else. Um, so that's, what's up with Roger Craig and, uh, and we shall see what happens with covert and sprinkle
1: your, uh, you know, to your point uh, for our listeners, this conversation came up recently when Brian Urlacher was inducted into the hall of fame because he was also on the same ballot with a guy by the name of Ray Lewis. And there was a lot of talk saying that Okay, both these linebackers aren't going to be able to come come in because they just don't do that. But they somehow the committee made I don't know a difference. This you know because they were both worthy and like you're talking about with all these other guys. With uh, with respect to Roger Craig, he was always the one guy that was left out when all these other guys got in. So for our listeners that's a good point because it's it was the exception rather than the rule to both to have both two middle linebackers yeah same year
2: it does it does happen um it is rare but it does happen um for example i mean two of the most high profile cases is that uh dan marino and steve young went in on the first ballot in the same year and then Troy Aikman and Warren Moon went in in the same ballot, same first ballot uh, in in the same year. There are little hard, moves like hard that.
1: To deny, guys. Absolutely hard to, to, to deny any of those quarterbacks.
2: You know, last year we saw Champ Bailey and Ty Law go in. I would have held Ty Law back a little bit because I would have wanted to have a little bit more discussion about that. And I was also advocating hard for – Sterling Sharp, who I think so, Sterling Sharp now is up for the senior committee, and I think that that's really, really a shame because he was on pace to become a first ballot Hall of Famer. The fact that he fell all the way through and was not elected as a modern era nominee is, you know, I don't get too much of it in a twist about all this, but, you know, in terms of the history, in terms of who's worthy, deserving, um, People, I, I think, maybe have forgotten a little bit about Sterling Sharp, and certainly your listeners maybe uh, don't love the guy because, obviously, of where he played. But um, but Sterling Sharp, you know, he, he went down with that sudden, I don't want to say tragic because of all the things that can happen on a football field, but really unfortunate neck injury.
1: Yeah, it, that, that was... That was terrible to see. I don't care whether, you know, and for those of you that, that listen in, uh, we talk about the Bears all the time. I live in Wisconsin. A lot of people don't know that. I grew up in the Chicago area. I've been a Bears fan my entire life, but but I, I live in Wisconsin, and so I hear about Packers stuff all the time. And that was, I mean, people were just absolutely stunned when that happened. Jack, I want to touch base before we switch to the uh, uh, the all-time 100 list. There's one glaring snub that I see that we haven't touched base on, and he was actually a teammate of Jimbo's. You want to shed a little light on who I'm talking about?
2: Yeah, Hilge. Uh, Hilge should be in there. He's not on this list. We're talking about Jay Hildenberg, of course. He's not on this list of seniors. Um, he just recently um, uh, transitioned off of that modern era category. So he will be, if he goes in, he will go in as a senior category member, you know, Pro Bowler every year from 85 to 91, back to back All Pro in the late 80s. Obviously, we know what he did in 85, but, you know, he started every game uh, but two. He, well every game he, so he started every game he played in every game from 83 no 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 82 was a, was a strike year okay he played in every game from his rookie year until 19 of 81 until 89 he missed two games in 1990 and then and then uh and then played 16 until 92 and then the next year he played 9 New Orleans or something? Yeah, he played one year with the Browns, uh, started all 16 in '92 with Cleveland, and then and then played a shortened run with the Saints. But yeah, I mean, he was a veritable Iron Man in that respect, and obviously just just bang bang bang, one of the one of the best at his position, and has not gone in, and now he has to wait for the senior the senior uh, committee, uh, you know. We know what Jay Hilgenberg did. We know his career. We know he's worthy. But he is – there are Jay Hilgenbergs of the franchise. And every every franchise's fans and media members are all advocating for the Jay Hilgenberg or the Jimbo covert of their franchise. And what happens is is that you get all these voices going off about – you know, this guy has been disrespected. This guy needs it, And that's why it's that's why it's very difficult. Let's take a look at centers since uh, Hilgenberg was um, eligible. You had Mike Webster go in in 97. You had Dwight Stevenson go in in 98. And then the next one, I think, wasn't until Bruce Matthews. Yeah, so Bruce Matthews, who played more guard than center, first ballot in 07. And... Then, well, he was senior. And then Dermani Dawson from the Steelers, obviously. Fantastic, fantastic all-time player. Um, Tinglehawk, the senior committee. And then Kevin Mauai. You're, you're going to see that right now with the center position. And the center position is one—I I think my main beef with the Pro Football Hall of Fame is that, you know, the beauty of football is that you've got 11 guys versus 11 guys, and everybody matters. And everybody has to do their job for a play to be successful. And when you're on the field, and I didn't play football. I mean, I played touch football and flag football and stuff, but I didn't play. I didn't play tackle. Um, so I, so I speak of this as a fan. And and, and as a journalist, as a story analyst, of course. But everybody on the field is working as one. And if you talk to, if you played football, I'm sure some of your listeners played football, and they know better than I what what, uh, I'm about to say. But if you you played football or if you talk to the guys who have played at a high, high level, they talk about the beauty of 11 people working as one. And that is what the game is. Yet when it comes time to honor players in the Hall of Fame— It goes back to the quarterback, to the running back, to, you know, guys with sack numbers. So it's easier to get into the Hall of Fame if you're a defensive end with sack numbers than if you're a defensive tackle, for example. It's easier to get in the Hall of Fame if you're a middle linebacker than if you are an outside linebacker, you know, a strong side guy defending tight ends and defending running backs out of the backfield. It is easier to get into the Hall of Fame if you are... A corner with a lot of interceptions than one who is a lockdown guy but doesn't always show up in the stats, and obviously we know what they've what they've done to specialists. But I think we're going to see Devin go in. I, I think that's going to really, I, I do think that's going to happen. I would bet my career on it. Whatever you want to say, my <laughs> uh, credibility, my credibility, I guess. Devin sure. Hester is going to be a hall. Your, Devin re- going to be a hall of fame. That's
1: your reputation.
2: Sure, I'll bet my reputation. So well, right now with centers. Back. Yeah, well I just want to say one different. I just want to say one thing. Right now with centers, you've got Maui just went in and we all know what Olin Cruz did on that field. And uh but there are a number of centers who I think are worthy to be in this discussion. Olin, uh, Kent the late Kent Hall, Jeff Saturday, Matt Burke, Tom Naylon, um I'm sure I'm forgetting some guys, but what I would love to see is more attention paid to some of these positions that are so critical and yet I feel like are underrepresented in in the pro football hall of fame. And I would like to see some discussion about kind of creating or like determining a pecking order. I'd like to see some kind of agreement among... Um, you know retired offensive linemen and retired defensive linemen about who the best centers were and we can have some kind of a sense of who will go in next but obviously in Chicago you know we're all about Olin and uh, and with good reason
1: yeah absolutely you you mentioned Devin in, in the fact that he's probably he, he's got to be a first ballot hall of famer just for the simple fact that Nobody ever did what he did, number one. And number two, he already made it to the top one hundred team.
2: Yeah, but so did so did Billy Johnson. And he's he's not he's not
1: But Devin Hester hasn't reached his eligibility phase yet. And that's I key.
2: agree, I agree. I, agree. Yeah. I don't know that so- Devin's gonna win first ballot, but I will, like you said, I'll bet my reputation Devin Hester will be a Hall of Famer. You can, Bears fans, you can book that one right now. I don't have any problem
1: saying that. So this is a perfect segue to go from current Hall of Fame to the 100 list for the 100-year anniversary, and and you and I talked about one guy that I thought was a surefire snub. But before we get into that, I have to say it's, it's hard when you've got 10% of the top 100 list as Bears players already to try to fit more in, whether that's fair or not. It's just, an, it, it is what it is. But if it wasn't for what red Grange did to the, to the game or with the game back in the barnstorming years where, and we talked about this when you were back on, on weather uh, with us back in October about that time, that era uh, and we talked about the jerseys and, and whatnot, but you're looking at a time where the league was struggling and the bears went on this barnstorming tour and red Grange was, was the draw for that entire time and literally put the NFL on the Bears' shoulders. And he was the guy leading the way. So I think that was a big snub and, you know, if you, if you take World War II out of the mix, you've got a Bears team that probably wins five or six championships instead of only three in the 40s. And, of course, the guy who was leading the charge there was none other than Sid Luckman. Mm-hmm. So th- those are my two stubs for the Bears in terms of the Bears 100.
2: So overall, I thought that they – I thought that this list was actually really positive. I thought that they they did a really good job, quite frankly. I heard a lot of complaints from fans about how could this guy get on? I've never heard of him, but you know, you're it's supposed to be a list that honors a hundred years, and there are going to be guys you've never heard of. there listen, I studied the NFL, you know, and there were guys I've never heard of, but um, you know sorry,
1: like,
2: yeah, definitely. but there was one snub. All right, so Red Grange. It gets into like this question of, well, are we honoring the greatest, or are we trying to tell like a story? Because obviously, there's no NFL without Red Grange. I mean, if you look at the everything, and we don't want to rehash the guy's history, but one really interesting thing you should do is take a look at the attendance figures. Of the Bears games in nineteen twenty five before and after Red Grange came. Um, I mean, it's 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 stunning. And he changed the course of NFL history. I mean, he saved that league. and um and then he and then he left, um and and then he started his own league. He had these injuries. and then he came back and he was an excellent, excellent player, uh, offensively and defensively for the bears and we were talking about um we were talking about how the old position breakdowns worked well red grange obviously we think of him as a running back we're back half back well what is a db a db a defensive back it was originally a defensive halfback you had there was an offensive halfback and a defensive halfback so red grange was a phenomenal what we would call today corner except for the wide receivers weren't out as far wide but he was playing in the secondary. He he has one of the most clutch defensive plays or most clutch plays in NFL history um, in the 33 championship. The Bears leading the Giants 23-21. The Giants get a pass out, and they've got basically a two-on-one. And they've got one guy with the ball and one guy trailing him. And Grange kind of out in space with no time on the clock and Grange realizing that this guy was going to lateral to the other guy made the tackle on this dude um, and wrapped him up so that he tackled him around the ball so that the guy couldn't pitch the ball. I mean, this is if we had this if we had this play on NFL films, it'd be one of the most famous plays in NFL history. But he just wasn't that level of a superstar on the field after his knee injuries and after that barnstorming tour which like you said changed the nfl but also just destroyed his body so you kind of look at this list and it's like all right well all right if we're putting grange on who are we taking off from the running back list i'd like the running back list with the exception of dutch clark who should have been on the list but he was a tailback he passed a lot. Like you know, there's an evolution of the positions, and so I would it? have liked to have seen a way for. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, sorry. Finish your sentence.
2: I would have just liked to way to honor another few running backs without Dutch Clark taking a spot, but with Dutch Clark still being on this team because he needed to be there. I just didn't. I just didn't want to see him taking a spot. Marshall Falk, for example.
1: Sure.
2: The one real snub, the biggest snub on this list was Terrell Owens. Terrell Owens should have been on this list. Um, When you talk about the best to ever do it, at a time when Randy Moss is at his peak and Marvin Harrison is at his peak, Terrell Owens actually had more first-team all-pro selections than Moss or Harrison. And performed at extraordinary levels in the clutch. Remember his catch against Green Bay when he was with the 49ers. Remember him yeah. playing in the Super Bowl 100 yards on a on a broken leg. And you know, I know people don't like Owens whatever. I don't, it doesn't really bother me. He he should have been on the list. I think Drew Brees should have just because Gosh, I mean, it's it's difficult to look at the numbers and see that the all-time leading passer and isn't, isn't on the list, but I thought Owens, that was a really bad one. As far as Bears, I would have liked to have seen Grange. I would have liked to have seen Bronco Nagurski. I would have liked to have seen Bill George, the original middle linebacker. Um,
1: yeah, how do you leave and, off Bill George?
2: And, and probably Singletary.
1: Invented invented the middle linebacker spot in a game against the, the Philadelphia Eagles. He invented the spot and he's not there. Unbelievable. Right.
2: right. And not just that he invented, it's not just that he invented the spot. I mean, he was the standard bearer until Dick Butkus. I mean, he was racking up all pros at that position year after year after year. And, you know, start on a championship team in 63. So yeah, Bill George probably should have been there. It's a give and take. Uh, Owens to me was the one where I was like, "Ah, that's, that's, that's a huge, huge miss. Um, I, I didn't really understand that. Owens retired second all time in receiving touchdowns, second all time in receiving yards and fifth all time in receptions. So that was bad, but, you know, the thing about the Bears, of course, which is part of what makes our franchise so amazing, is that, you you know, you mentioned Bill George. We have so many guys throughout history who have been pioneers in one way or another. Obviously, Red Grange, well, obviously, George Hallis, um, Red Grange, the first NFL superstar. You mentioned Sid Luckman, who had, in 1943, one of the greatest passing seasons in NFL history, um, you've got, well, Nagurski did what he did. You've got the first outside linebacker in George Connor. You've got the first middle linebacker in Bill George. You've got the first tight end in Mike Dicka. You've got, as far as I can tell, was Bobby Douglas the first quarterback to wear a, a wrist, like a play playbook wristband with all the plays written on his wristband?
1: I believe he does have that title.
2: I've seen I've seen that, and that's what suggested. I haven't dug in to see the history, and then you know all the way up to the way that Brian Urlacher changed the linebacker position, the way that Devin changed the kick returner position, the way that Charles Tillman changed the cornerback position. Um, I'm sure I'm missing guys who really changed the game. It's amazing. Or if you look at the coaches, you know we had George Allen as a coach who basically invented. The modern special teams, you've got Clark Shaughnessy and Ralph Jones who invented the modern offense. Um, it, 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 you know, it goes on and on. And that's just that's just what happens when you're when you're the Chicago Bears and you've got 100 years of history and and, and you're making history every decade.
1: Yeah, the the coach you mentioned, he uh, is the the first defensive coach to implement the nickelback.
2: Who are we talking about?
1: Your, our our defensive coach that went on to Washington.
2: Oh, George Allen.
1: George Allen, yeah, and uh, uh, it, yeah, he was he was credited. I forget what they called that the offense at the time it wasn't it wasn't the nickelback, but there was a specific term that that he used. And then you know we you know you go into the the latter days, Buddy Ryan in the forty six defense yeah. that he invented. Yeah, there, there, there's so many bears that we could talk about. We didn't even talk about probably the best cornerback in terms of uh, uh, bump and run cover back in the old days. There was a guy that the Bears play. He just died recently. Uh, Alan Ellis Alan yeah. Ellis absolutely could destroy a, a, a wide receiver at the line of scrimmage. And
2: uh, did he and did it, he invent that?
1: I, I don't know if he invented it, but but what I'm saying is he, I don't think there was anybody better that I've seen not in a bears uniform at least. Okay. And uh, I had the pleasure of, of meeting Alan Ellis back in when the Bears used to have the Bears convention at a hotel like the Cubs Convention does mm-hmm. and the Black Box Convention, and they moved it to Soldier Field. The first year they moved it, I was I was there, and I was in attendance for both days. It was Matt Forte's rookie year. And I got okay. a chance to meet Alan Ellis, and I sat there, and I told him, I said, I've said i never seen any Bear cornerback do it any better. He looked up at me and just said, thank you, man. And it was, you know, he died a couple awesome. of years ago. And for him to hear that from a, from a fan – yeah, know, Jack, I'm probably old enough to be your dad. I, I'll be 63 in a couple of months. And uh, uh, so I've, I've, and I've been to, I, prob, I can't tell you how many Bears games I've been to, but there isn't, aside from, oh, God, probably since 1965 until I moved to New Orleans in 1986, came back in 88, aside from the year that they played in Champaign, there hasn't been a year other than 87, uh, 86, 87, and 2002 that I haven't been to at least one game since 1965. That's After. amazing. So,
2: Well, hey, 86 uh, is a good year to be a Bears fan in New Orleans, right?
1: Yeah. It was, well, <laughs> you know, funny thing. Two months to the day the Bears won the Super Bowl in New Orleans is when I was on a plane getting transferred to New Orleans from my job in Chicago Wow and then we moved back in uh, in July of 88 but that's another story for for another podcast uh, Jack it's been a pleasure I, I really appreciate you coming on with us and talking to some some really important bears history and we'd like to focus uh, this is probably the only bears podcast out there in in the in bears Twitter universe that does a lot of history components to our podcast. So uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. You're always welcome to come on board, so please do me a favor. Reach out to me on Twitter if there's something important you want to say because you've always got a free pass to come on board.
2: I appreciate that, Mike. Thank you so much.
1: So so with with that, we're going to pause for a, a message from our sponsor, Tick Splits. And then we'll be right back with Aaron to wrap up the rest of the show. I just heard my favorite
0: band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tix Blitz? Who? Tix Blitz. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z dot com today. Tix Blitz
1: dot com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's Tix Blitz dot com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Welcome back, everybody. Jack Silverstein. There's nobody better. He's a Chicago sports historian for Windy City Gridiron. You can catch him at at ReadJack on Twitter. Just a fascinating piece, and we're so glad he's a friend of the Halitech Hall Show. And thanks again for Ticksplits.com sponsoring our show this year as well as the past year. Uh, save 5% with promo code TAILGATE, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E for all of your ticket needs, whether it's Sports, concerts, Broadway, you name it, they have the tickets at uh, Their Their motto sums it up really well. It's every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Welcome back. We're going to now talk a little bit about the upcoming games uh, in the League Championship Series. It's Championship Sunday. Who you got, Aaron? Uh, I... I'm
0: hoping and I also believe that the 49ers uh, will win. Uh, they really just mantled the Packers last time they played um, and I, I think that uh, that that will continue again. Um, I think it's going to be much closer this time around uh, but I think that they will uh, be better. I just think that they have um, just a better they, have, they just have better uh, defense at the end of the day and I think um, I think the defense will prevail um, and I also think that the chiefs uh, are going to win um, you know I think they're them playing at home uh, helps a lot and I think I, I also feel like that game may be pretty close but it's also the kind of I feel like it could be similar where it's close and then the chiefs just pull away um, but I just I, I think it's a you know it's a different. Uh, animal to stop Mahomes than it is to stop uh, Lamar Jackson, but uh, you know the Titans could definitely keep it close, and if they can keep Mahomes off the field, you never know. But I'll take the Chiefs and the Niners.
1: The the Chiefs game against the Titan game, I, I just I just can't get a read on it. Is is the Titans defense really that good? or is Mahomes going to find a way, is Andy Reid going to find a way to, to break that? That uh, They did lose seven games this year, so they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I agree. I think Kansas City, uh, in the long run, has enough horses and enough speed to combat what Tennessee does on defense, and it's all going to be up to the, tennis, the, the Kansas City defense being able to stop Derek Henry, in the NFC game, you know, Green Bay is is going to be smarter and wiser in this game. So, yes, I agree it's going to be close. Uh, but with – and Green Bay fans travel well, don't get me wrong, so there'll be a, a nice contingent of, uh, of Packer fans out in San Francisco. But overall, there are some shaky things that, that Packers defense – Allows and one of them is a running game unless they're playing Chicago. <laughs> but uh, hey. so the game, the blueprint that they had over Minnesota last week, I think you're going to see much more of the same this Sunday. Uh, and I don't, I don't think that uh, Green Bay, uh, Aaron Rodgers gets flustered on the road. Mm -hmm. Let's just, let's just put it that way. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that overall San Francisco uh, will probably not only win, I think it'll be a high scoring game. I think, you know, the, the over under on this game is about 45 points and San Francisco is a seven and a half point favorite. And I think San Francisco is going to cover both the spread and in the over on this game. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. So uh, next week when we come on back, uh, we actually have an exciting guest on uh, BearReport.com's very own Zach Pearson will join us, and we'll talk about the uh, the, the championship games. So now we're going to segue into our last portion of the show. A lot of things have happened, and as I mentioned, uh, it is uh, about 10.30 on Wednesday, January 15th, uh, as we're taping this show, and it'll probably go up on the, uh, on the boards with podcasts and, and Apple sometime tomorrow. But a lot of things have happened in the last three days. First, the Bears hired an offensive coordinator. Aaron and I kind of disagree about his qualifications and what he's there for. Um, the Bears announced an important change in their their summer camp. And as just going on, right before we we came on to this show, the 10 enshrinees to the Hall of Fame from the Veterans and uh, Contributors Committee, that's part of the centennial of Bears uh, of NFL 100, was announced. And we'll start with that because we've got really exciting news. And... The interview that that we just had with with Jack Silverstein was taped a couple of days prior to this taping. So we talked a lot about Ed Sprinkle. We talked a lot about Jimbo Covert. And I am so blessed and happy to announce that both Sprinkle and Jimbo Covert have been in or will be enshrined this year as part of the centennial uh, celebration. So congratulations to both Jimbo uh, and Ed Sprinkle. Ed Sprinkle, George has commented uh, later on that Ed Sprinkle was the best rusher, quarterback rusher he's ever seen. Jimbo Colbert dominated the left tackle position. Uh, both members, both Sprinkle and Colbert, were on the All-Decade teams, and in fact, Ed Sprinkle was the only player from the 40s, all-decade team that had yet to make the Pro Bowl or the the NFL Hall of Fame, so they finally corrected that wrong. Uh, There's been some uh, some great names uh, that were announced today, and we'll go through them uh, real quick. Uh, Paul Tagliabue, Jimbo Covert, Winston Hill, an offensive tackle with the Jets and the L.A. Rams from the 60s and 70s, Harold Carmichael, who I had the pleasure of seeing play, he was a wide receiver for Philadelphia from 1971 to 83, and he played his last year with Dallas. Uh, Duke Slater, he played with, there was a team in Milwaukee called the Milwaukee Badgers, and then he, he later went on to the Rock Island Independents and then the Chicago Cardinals. Ed Sprinkle, the Bears defensive end. Uh, Steve Sable. Why he wasn't in the Hall of Fame before now is absolutely beyond me. Yeah. Alex, Alex Karras, a defensive tackle from the Detroit Lions, uh, he was absolutely uh, one of the best defensive linemen in the 60s. Unfortunately, he played for the Detroit Lions, so nobody heard about it. Uh, he actually did. He was on the, the opening years of, of Monday Night Football. Bobby Dillon, which is a safety from Green Bay Packers. Donnie Schell, where most of our listeners can remember him because he's more of a of – a, uh, uh, not current, but he played from 74 to 87 with, with Pittsburgh, so he's still in the Veterans Committee. Uh, George Young, uh, he was a general manager for Baltimore, Miami, uh, the New York Giants, and he was a big part of uh, the National Football League office from 1998 to 2000. And Cliff Harris, safety from Dallas Cowboys from the 70s. Max Speedle, another old timer from 46 to 52 with the Cleveland Browns. And as I had mentioned earlier, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue, uh, who was uh, the commissioner who who succeeded Pete Rozelle and was the, from 1998 to 2006, he was the commissioner of the league, so congratulations to uh, to all of those guys. Aaron, uh, I don't know you were young uh, when Colbert was uh, was in his prime, but he did play until the '90s. Do you remember or anything or any stories about Jimbo? I mean, you
0: know, he's a guy that's been around Chicago's the Chicago sports landscape, you know, since he retired. Um, you know he's certainly not one of the bigger personalities um, from that 85 team he's always known as a quiet uh, guy that you know but uh, I was listening this morning to uh, Kaplan and they had Ditka on and Dicka was saying you know um, that they never gave Jimbo help you know he was out there um, at left tackle going against you know Lawrence Taylor and the likes of those guys and you know he just he just held it down and You know, it's it's over. It's long overdue, um, as you've mentioned and many have mentioned, um, you know, but it's uh, that anybody that played for any great stretch of time during that period for the offensive line for the Bears, you know, it needs to be recognized uh, just because it's, you know, that's between the running back, of course, Walter and, um, you know, the the offensive line. You've got, you know, some of the best guys that have ever done it. Um, so it, it's, it's good to see, um, you know, uh, a shout out to Dan Pompey, who's been a, a champion of, of, uh, a lot of these bears, uh, to get, you know, Urlacher and, and many more, uh, to get in, um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, Ed Sprinkle as well. I also enjoyed, um, the, the, the announcements of the cower and Jimmy Johnson, uh, on the broadcasts. I thought those were. Uh, that was cool the way they did that. I uh, had the Hall of Fame president come in and announce the, them uh, as being uh, inducted as well. Um, so, you know, it's always uh, it's always nice to see these old guys, um, you know, get their due. Steve Sable, I mean, you're right. How in the world? He's done more NFL films and Steve Sable has done more for the history of the game than probably the Hall of Fame itself has done you know, not to discredit the Hall of Fame, but I mean you can't you can't write the story of the NFL without NFL films and Steve Sable. You know, you look at the even the you know, the video of the the NBA, you know, from the eighties, it looks horrible. And you've got these amazing films that Steve Sable made of the NFL, you know, in the sixties, seventies and on. You know, and if and if he never did that you know, we would not have the, the footage that we have, you know, and the, and be able to to study the game the way that we have. And just I mean, I remember as a kid during the day, not as a super young kid, but I would say like in uh, middle school and high school, I would come home from school. And that was always on during the day on ESPN is some NFL films thing with those great soundtracks and the, you know, the, the, uh, facenda, the voice of God, you know, uh, over the top. And I mean, you know, it's just, that's the kind of thing that builds the, the lore of the NFL. So, you know, I mean, you don't like to get caught up in snubs and things like that, but sometimes it's just funny how, you know, the most obvious people get ignored for things.
1: Absolutely. His, his dad, uh, you know, who's responsible for the start and Steve carried on for right. decades. Uh, he was already in the Hall of Fame, right? Right. And for for Steve to have waited this long to get in the Hall of Fame was, you know, it was how, the only thing we can say is it was it was an oversight.
0: Right. You and it's just it, sad. It, I mean, the guy's dead now. <laughs> so, isn't he dead?
1: Know, I believe it. Yeah, he had cancer. I believe. Yeah. So you know it 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 is a shame that some of these guys are elected posthumously, but, uh, overall, thank God he's in, you know, he's rightfully, rightfully deserved. And, and, you know, I remember, you know, back in, in my youth, uh, I always looked forward to the NFL game of the week. And I can't remember what network it was on but you know the, you know, I was at. I, I had the the uh, honor and privilege to be at the Bears game in 1977. I was at both the Kansas City and, and the Minnesota game. Kansas City was the week before, which is the greatest comeback game in the history of of Bears football, in my opinion. And then the 275 yard game the flu game against Minnesota the, the following week. And and you when, when the NFL game of the week came on uh, after that game, it usually came out like Wednesday or Thursday uh, following. And the opening shot was the beacon that was flashing on top of the Sears Tower. I just about jumped out of my seat. And I'm <laughs> 20 years old. And I'm like, right. yes, I'm so glad that this is the game of the week. Right. And, it, and it truly, you know, it, it deserved to be the game of the week. Um, and it's, it's all of that that's what makes this special for, mm-hmm. for Steve. Hold on one second. I, sh- I want to share something with you. Um, we're talking about, we'll, we'll, we'll finish this thought. Um, you know, Steve Sable, without question, the NFL Films Archive, is absolutely amazing. There, uh, there's no tape that. I, imagine if the the networks would have preserved all of the games that they that they broadcast mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, it would be f- worth billions mm-hmm. and billions of dollars for them to put them out uh, in in digital format, available for download. Imagine all of the games uh, throughout history that fans not of bear fans but all NFL fans right. would love to have in in their possession it's just incredible there is an audio on youtube of the entire the game i just talked about the, the bears game in 1977 where the bears won 28 to 27 against Kansas City after they were trailing uh, 2017, 13, 17 to um, nothing. And, and they came from behind. Walter Payton had three touchdowns and 195 yards rushing in that game. And Greg Latta from Bob Avellini of all quarterbacks, who was absolutely miserable that day, catches a pass in the end zone with three seconds left to go in the game. And Bob Thomas kicks an extra point who had been shaky. He had missed a couple of field goals earlier in the game, and everybody was literally holding their breath that this ball was going to go through because it was a terribly windy game. I want to go back to Jimbo Covert for just a minute. I was trying to look this up while we were talking, and there is a, a video clip of uh, Jimbo Covert on Twitter that that got posted by the Bears, and you had talked about him being put out there alone, and Ditka had also said, "We put we put Covert out there from day one, and we never have to worry about it." You know, and he he played until 1990 for the Bears. This is what Lawrence Taylor, of all people, said. I look at a lot of the people who are in the Hall of Fame, and if Jim Covert can't be in the Hall of Fame, then we've got a problem. Well, Lawrence, I'm so happy to tell you that the problem is, is gone. Jimbo is now rightfully in the Hall of Fame next to some of the all-time greats like Anthony Munoz that have played that position and played it flawlessly. So congratulations, Jimbo. Congratulations at Sprinkle, and congratulations to all of the uh, 10 and Chinese from the Veterans and Contributors Committee uh, making it in on this special year, the 100th year of, of the NFL. A couple of days ago, if not, maybe it was just yesterday, the Bears announced that they are ending their relationship with Olivet Nazarene University and moving training camp to Lake Forest. Yes, there will be uh, some practices like those that were down at, at A that will be open to the public. I don't know how many people they will be able to fit into these practices, and I don't know if they will build a, a concession building that you have to walk through in order to get to the practice facilities where the, the workouts will be held. But you knew it was coming. I, for one, am happy that the bears are now going to be in Lake Forest because uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's a four-hour drive for me to get from where I live to uh, Bourbonnais. And uh, number two, their practices were always in the morning. So I would have had to leave my house at 3.30 in the morning to get down there to be on time to find a parking spot in order to get in to, to see the practice, and then I would run the risk of falling asleep on the way home. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I think it's a good move. Obviously, the, the facility is all state-of-the-art. They've got all of their, their, their doctors there. They've got all of the medical facilities that are state-of-the-art there. Uh, you know, they have all of the state-of-the-art workout equipment. Uh, their nutritionist is there. Their dietitian is there. So everybody is there. They don't have to pack up two semis to go down to bourbon aid for what amounts to what nine practices that are open to the public anymore.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. it's
1: a, I think it's a good move.
0: I agree. Uh, I think, you know, I understand why, why fans might be, uh, you know, a little frustrated by it, but at the end of the day, 25 teams practice at their own home training facilities for training camp. So, It's it's rare that the Bears were even still doing what they were doing with this, you know, kind of uh, old school sort of training camp. And they just spent one hundred million dollars making House Hall the state of the art top, you know, arguably the top facility in the league. So it really just makes sense. Um, You know, unfortunately, I do think that they're going to there aren't going to be as many open practices. Um, You know, there were only 10 last year, which was down from the previous year. Uh, and people obviously flooded them. I mean, there were days where there was 9,000 uh, plus people, and there there'll be nothing like that allowed in Hallis Hall, um, you know, or around Hallis Hall. And what I hope is that maybe they do another event somewhere else, maybe Soldier Field. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe. Um, you know, at another venue, uh, you know, where they have a, a kind of another, like a, not like a fan fest, but just something kind of similar to what they set up at Bourbonnais, A, um, where you've got some stuff for the kids and, and things like that, because, you know, I, I never went to training camp prior to the last two seasons, but, you know, it was, you know, it, it I thought it was important for my older son to go, um, you know, and to see some of those things that they set up. And we, I haven't been to Hallis Hall but I've you know I looked, I've looked you can see the grounds obviously on Google Maps and I just don't know where they would even set any of that stuff up. Like so I really think it's just not gonna be that. And ultimately that's fine. I mean it's it's really time for the Bears to to be an organization that's about winning now and winning, you know, for for next year and the year after that. You know, it, 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 this team, and and rightfully so, they have a rich history, um, but I think that this team has kind of lived off of history for a long time, and it's time to make some new history. And so some of the small-towny kind of, you know, kitschy things like Bourbonnais and stuff like that, and this is not stuff that... You know, teams that are uh, you know in the in the modern era are doing anymore, and it's just too much to ask these guys to to be two hours away from where they live during the season and sleep in crappy dorm rooms and you know um, and all that. So it's it's a shame, I think, in some ways, but ultimately, if it's better for the team, that's really that's really what matters.
1: I, I think you're right. Uh, I know that one of our our. Friends of Halitech Hall uh, and one of the the, just the biggest Chicago fan that I know Greg Braggs was on Twitter earlier today and Greg special shout out to you I love you man I love your show and I love what you bring as far as your enthusiasm for fan of all Chicago sports he was a little bit disappointed in the move and but then he came back on and and tweeted out Later on, that he understands the move, and that's what most Bear fans have to be considering right now. Yeah, there's a disappointment. There was disappointment for Bear fans when they left Platteville. You know, they and they've been with Olivet for almost two decades. I've had the privilege of attending camp at both places. It'll, you would go to Platteville and. You park your car and walk over to the fields. There was no concession stands. There were no funneling of, of player or, or people to, to go here, go here, go there first. No tickets were needed. Um, you know, I literally held my son over a rope uh, with a with a pen in his in hand, and and Refrigerator Perry came and autographed. Something for me, uh, for for my son. Uh, then you segue to Olivet, and I think the la- first time I visited Olivet was in 2006, uh, and it was a lot different the last five years than it was the first five years at Olivet, where you had to go through this this building, and of course it's loaded with with souvenirs and jerseys and. You know, it was like a regular gift shop, mm. uh, and you had to go through that in order to get to the practice fields. Right. And, and then you had all of these kiosks for, for different vendors and things set up for kids to take part in, uh, and it was just a more family-oriented experience. We haven't, obviously, we're not close to seeing what the Bears will unveil as far as fan experiences at Lake Forest. Uh, I would hope they would do a tour of the Peyton Center, which is their indoor practice field of Hallis Hall itself. and And of course, how many fans are they going to be able to uh, put around the field? And as far as stands, uh, kids things to do, Gift shop, etc. So it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. Last but not least on the show, also that happened this week is the Bears announced the hiring of the offensive coordinator to replace Mr. Helfrich, who uh, apparently was uh, in charge of the running game along with uh, Harry Heistan. And now they've got a guy that actually was out of the league last year, which is drawing (coughs) the ire of uh, several Bear fans. And Bear's Twitter is, of course, blowing up over this. Uh, Bill Lazor, who was last with the Cincinnati Bengals as offensive coordinator from 16 to 18. He was the quarterback coach in 16. He was promoted to offensive coordinator. Uh, in the 17, so he spent 17 and 18 as the Bengals' uh, offensive coordinator. Previous to that, he was uh, with the Miami Dolphins as offensive coordinator. In 2013, he was the QB coach for, for Philadelphia. Prior to that, he spent uh, three years back in college ranks at the University of Virginia, uh, and then he's had some time with with several other NFL teams, but Number one, he is supposed to be expert at the at the RPO, which is one thing that obviously the Bears are trying to jam down Trubisky's throat. And hopefully this will help him learn the ins and outs of RPO because there were, quite frankly, several times where Mitch read the wrong read. He, he handed the ball off when he should have kept it and he ran the ball to the wrong spot when there were, there were openings elsewhere along the line. Uh, so I'm hoping that this will be an incremental step in the tutoring process that, that they have to get. They're all in on Mitch, let's face it. They're all in on Mitch, and they've gotta do whatever they can to bring out the best in him. And I think this is one of the reasons why they brought this guy in. Aaron, you have a different opinion. Share with the, the, our listeners your opinion well, on this guy. My, I
0: I brought up my cynical opinion of this is that now in Juan Castillo and Bill Laser, you've hired two guys who weren't even employed last year. So I think that's kind of interesting. Um, they are also two guys that have bounced around a lot. I know Nagy has some familiarity with them. You know, the Eagles uh, being sort of the through line there. Um, here's what I'll say about Laser. I think he's gotten some good performances out of some mediocre guys. He was he was around for Foles when Foles had his. Uh, you know resurgence he um, you know uh, put up uh, you know he helped Tannehill uh, to his best season Um, and you know uh, he also helped Andy Dalton to have some of his better seasons Uh, what I think is kind of funny about laser is that he was actually replaced by Zach Taylor two times uh, once in Miami and then um, he was kind of the odd man out it wasn't really his fault I suppose in Cincinnati Marvin Lewis you know, left after a million years of being the Bengals coach, uh, whether he was fired or left, you know is is up to you to decide. Um, but it was a mutual parting, and then you know that that was it. they they they, um, you know, everybody was out. So not necessarily his fault. I mean, I'm it doesn't really matter to me that much. I don't I think Bears fans got caught up on Shermer. You know, I thought that might have been a decent idea. Then maybe bring Case Keenum in as the backup. Um, You know, but Shermer's not exactly some, you know, world beater, some blue chip. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, got fired from the Giants had, you know, obviously was assistant coach of the year in 2017 with the Vikings and whatever. You know, we we thought that was what was happening. It's not what was happening. The problem, I think, is that you're not going to get that many guys who want to come in here and not call the plays. So this is still Nagy's offense. It's still Nagy's team, um, and so you, you you were you were going to shrink your hiring pool because Nagy's not giving up the play calling. Um, what I was hoping with Shermer was that he was going to be a veteran voice who might you know uh, might disagree with Nagy and offer some. You know some different points of view, which is I don't think what Helfrich was. Uh, it, it's funny that we only found out that Helfrich was in charge of the run game after they fired him. Like nobody seemed to be aware of this until after after the fact. It's like oh yeah, by the way, that thing that didn't work, uh, they were in charge of that. You know, so it's a sort of I don't know. I mean, I think Laser, at the end of the day, doesn't have to get this team to to be you know uh, a top five scoring team we just need to be in the top 15 Uh, and the green bay packers were the 15th scoring team in the league at 23.5 and if the bears had just scored 23 points in every game they played that they didn't if they just could have increased those games to 23 points they would have went 12 and 4 you know so it's to me, it's what, what I like about all the moves, and I said this on this show, I believe, and I said it on the tailgate show, was the, the Bears are not going to fire Nagy. I don't, have, I don't think they should, but what they needed to do was do what the Vikings did and get rid of everybody in the offensive room and, and tear it down and rebuild things around the talent that they have. It worked for the Vikings. It worked so well that they lost their offensive coordinator now, Stefanski, um, you know, which is the risky run. When you hire these young, hot shot offensive coordinators, they get Ted coaching jobs a year later if things work. So, you know, I mean, that could happen with laser, I suppose. Uh, you know, he's not super old. He's only 47. But Nagy has a familiarity with him. He has a familiarity with, with Juan Castillo, so I, I'm not against the hire. I think most Bears Twitter, as they normally do, is just overreacting, you know. And sometimes I just put things up for reactions as well to kind of see what it, you know, what it, what it gets out there. But, but, I mean, at the end of the day, like, it signals to me that they, that they are going to, to hopefully change things up because now it's not, it's not one year of bad offense. It's two years, so. You you basically have two years of Nagy, and Helfrich, and it was it was bad both years. So you know I I think at least they're at least they're shaking it up and going a different direction. You know people are putting up you know oh well uh, Lazer's offense was 17th you know this 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 it and I said well okay put up Helfrich's offense so it's an upgrade right i mean at the end of the day at the end of the day laser is a guy who's called plays in the nfl he's coached a bunch of quarterbacks he's gotten success out of quarterbacks none of them are like you know uh what you would consider to be like mahomes you know uh, elite talents so i'm hopeful i mean you know at the end of the day i think the defense is going to come back and be as good if not better than 2019. So we got to, you know, get to 24 points a game. You get to 24 points a game, schedule next year, 12 and 4, no problem.
1: We can only hope. When you look at, uh, at Lazer's career, here's, uh, here's some names of head coaches that he has worked for, and it's a quite an eclectic bunch of, uh, of coaches. Joe Gibbs, Mike Holmgren, Chip Kelly. Marvin Lewis, Jim Mora, Joe Philbin, and Dan Reeves. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some there. That's quite a uh, a tree to be a part of. And when you look at Juan Castillo, uh, let's take a look at John Harbaugh, Sean McDermott, Andy Reid, Ray Rhodes. So you know these guys have. Uh, They've got a lot of experience with a lot of different coaches, Mm -hmm. and I think that what that means to me is diversification. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to see what is going to happen. Obviously, we're going to have new blocking techniques going into next year. Uh, Hopefully, we have a better understanding of what uh, Nagy wants to do that is in line and let's put that in bold, italics, and underline in line with Mitch Trubisky's skill sets. And let's see what happens. You know, the defense is is still going to be, you know, it's it's not going to be you know 38 takeaways, awesome, but it's still got enough talent to still be a top 10 unit. Uh, they they need some they they got to fix the offensive line. Let's say they have to fix the offensive line. I don't know if it's through the, the personnel that they have and different blocking schemes, uh, but there were so many times where there were breakdowns in fundamentals. There were breakdowns in, in blocking schemes. There were probably breakdowns in line calls that put the, the running back going right into the whole where the, the only defender that's unaccounted for is there to make the tackle. How many times did we see that on film? So, you know, we've got, you know, we've got a few months to talk about it, but, you know, when you look at it, we're three months away, Aaron. We're only three months and maybe a week away from the draft. We're only eight weeks away from the beginning of free agency when the new league opens up in the middle of the new league year becomes officially uh, started in the middle of March. So, you know, people are saying we've got way too many pieces we've got to take care of. Well, first of all, we've got to sign our own. You know, that's the biggest thing in free agency is being able to re-sign your own players. And there's several of the ones that are scheduled to be uh, free agents this year that will get re-signed. And there's going to be a few that won't. The biggest debate right now, obviously, is who's, who are we going to keep, Trevathan or Kwiatkowski? That's yeah, you know, we have to answer that. Uh, what are we going to do with Leonard Floyd? What do we cut him? Do we trade him? If we trade him, you know, do we have a cap hit? There's all kinds of things there, but. Uh, I believe Zach Pearson wrote on, on on BearReport.com that right now the Bears are only about $14.5 million under the cap, but I don't know. And I asked him; he never answered me. I don't know if that includes the influx of the $12 million that's coming into the cap for this season.
0: Yeah, and the last I've last I've heard, the Bears are about 20, about 19, 20. But if they if they make if they get aggressive, they could easily get to 30 or 40. I mean, if you if you get rid of Amukamara, if you get rid of Gabriel, if you cut you know some guy, you know Floyd, um, you know a restructure, you know they could get they. Could, That they sign them in, it's a really low hit. Like the Eddie Jackson contract is very low this year, but two or three years from now, it's gonna it's gonna come back. Based on the moves I've heard, um, they're most likely they'll probably be in the twenty-five
1: to thirty million dollar range, which should, should be enough to to do what they they need to do. And they could also
0: um, they could also extend Allen Robinson and and shift his money. Too, that's another move that a lot of people have mentioned could happen.
1: And one thing that Pace does well, that you know, he's been getting a ton of criticism after he got a ton of accolades after last year. But the contracts that they sign these players, they have outs that mm-hmm. make it make it a cap friendly hit, or they they have abilities to restructure the contract mm-hmm. uh, to to give them more. Cap flexibility so you got to give Credit where credit is due mm-hmm. uh, You know Stein was their their capologist uh, And the guy that formulated All the contracts prior before he I thought it was going to be terrible When he left but you know, The Bears have been true to form you don't See uh, You know a, a player get Signed for a huge contract And then get cut after One year like you do see With other teams the Redskins yeah. come come yeah. To, to mind that they were historically bad. Why yeah. anybody would want to go to that team with what they would do to veterans who they would sign to a big contract and cut them after one year thinking right. they've got all the security. Well, and then Jerry Angelo would seem
0: like routinely be bringing in these second-tier overpaid free agents, you know, these Rory Williams and, and some of these guys that, you know, we'd get stuck with. And Pace, you know, hasn't always – had the greatest free agent signings, but they've even the ones that didn't work out, they were short term, you know, I mean, they didn't have long contracts, maybe one, two year deals. It didn't work out. We got to have even the Glennon deal, which I still is one of, I think, his worst signings didn't kill them. You know, it was a two year deal. So that's been good. And another thing too, just real quick on pace, is that people have been kind of ripping him. I mean, he has remade this organization so much in terms of, the The perception of it. I mean, people kind of, I think, from the outside, think of the Bears as as being, you know, um, a a more healthy franchise than they really were, you know, in, in before Pace got here. That Pace walked into an empty cupboard uh, in terms of the draft. He walked into an aging practice facility with one of the worst in the league, and now they have the best, and now you know, um, they they're a team that the way the Bears are viewed uh, is because of that. And it's because of Pace and Nagy and the culture change that they've gotten the McCaskies to undertake. And it's because of George, Uh, George needs credit, too. And you know, Ted's along for the ride. I refuse to give Ted any credit, but um, <laughs> I I, uh, I just you know it it needs to be noted and the, the people actually still talking about whether the Khalil Mack trade was smart. Khalil Mack put this team back on the map nationally, you know it, it, that is was so important for reinvigorating the fan base, getting him, and we were talking about it on the other show with uh, Jer. When you would go to training camp before. All you know, and he was been going a lot longer than than me. So I asked him, I said, you ever remember seeing any current players jerseys at training camp? Most of the time, it's all 34s, 54s, you know, old players. Now, all you see are new players, you know, and that's just that's an enormous shift. The Bears have been living on history for basically the entire 2000s. And now, you know, we're we're talking about Eddie Jackson, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks, um, you know, even Mitch, uh, you know, David Montgomery. You know, you have player, uh, you know, people believing in the new players and going out and buying their jerseys right away. That just wasn't the case, you know, uh, throughout the last 20 years.
1: The only time it was the case was Brian Urlacher when he was right. in the prime of his career. Right. And I remember I was, I was had a game uh, one. It was a, it was a, it was an evening game against Minnesota and I am stuck in, you know, I'm in the 400 section and you have to go down to the 300 section to go to the, to the bathroom or actually down into the 200 section. And it was just a of humanity. And, you sit there and you would literally look at these jerseys and go, "Hey, Brian, how you doing, Brian? Hey, how you doing, <laughs> Brian? Yeah. How you doing? Yeah. You know, everybody that had a jersey on, except for the few Paytons, mm-hmm. um, you know, were all Brian Urlacher jerseys, and it's yeah. nice to see. I want to talk about, and I think this where we where we'll end the show is. Uh, you had mentioned something about, about Ryan Pace and his free agent signings. What we forget to talk about is the attempts that he made to sign big talent, and oftentimes that talent signed to another team for less money than what Ryan Pace was offering him because they didn't want to come to Chicago. Now players want to come. To Chicago. And that's the biggest difference. And that's why I think you're going to see a couple of key offseason pickups in free agency. And especially, I think you're going to see some offensive line help come via free agency this year. And then they can focus uh, their talents on the other positions. One thing that that I wanted to mention too, that I'm disappointed with. And we, we can take a look at it back the last couple of years. The Bears drafted Javon Wims, who was supposed to be a decent talent. He never saw the field in his rookie year. Then they they draft Riley Ridley this year, who was supposed to be a phenomenal route runner, and he's got a good catch radius, and he never made the field until injuries to Gabriel and uh, uh, late in the year. And you look at the Metcalfs and the, the, the guy from, uh, was number number 11, and I can't remember if he plays for Houston or, or uh, uh, Tennessee. I think it was Tennessee. You know, and they're, they're making significant impacts for their teams as rookies, and our receivers don't. And that, that's a, a deterrent to yeah. the growth of, of the offensive game. Yeah, I agree.
0: I mean, unfortunately, I, I don't know how uh, people like furry. He's a fiery guy. I don't think he's done a very good job, period. I don't think I don't think that I think wh- you look, you just talked about it. Wims, Ridley, you know where, you know, these guys needed to be on the field. Uh, but I think what happened this past season is you had no tight ends. It completely limited what they were able to do. And. Then everything started to snowball, and they just had to simplify things. So everybody, you know, was clamoring for Nagy to to cut down on all his formations and his personnel groupings. Well, he did, um, and those guys became the odd men out. I mean, unfortunately, you know, when I mentioned this the other day, you have to look at Anthony Miller as a guy that I don't know about right now. I mean, he's going to have another shoulder surgery. Um, it's you know it's just unfortunate uh it's unfortunate that they why was he in the game returning a kick you know in that game i don't know but you know with his shoulder now he's got he's facing another surgery and you know he's had up and down he's looked amazing at times but then you look at that draft and you know the dj chark on the on the jaguars is really good james washington was picked after him and the steelers is really good michael gallup was picked you know 15 20 picks after him is really good and you look you look at pace and go well gosh he traded up to get this guy again and now it's kind of like like you know is he really going to end up working out um you know so i i would this is another very uh rich wide receiver draft so i wouldn't be surprised if we see more because um, I don't think Taylor Gabriel is going to be back. I think he's going to be a cap casualty. Um, uh, you know, so it, it's interesting. I mean, I I I, I, look, I remember just how we and everybody else were talking about how great all these weapons looked, and then now it's kind of like you know, other than a Rob, what have you got? You know, um, it's they don't look as they don't look as uh, as amazing as they did last year.
1: You look at the the last year versus the year we just finished, and the Bears led the league in the fewest dropped passes mm-hmm. in 18, and they led the league in most dropped passes in yeah. 19. And there's not just one person to to point a finger at. Yeah. I think I think um, Cohen probably led the team with drops, but Robinson dropped a couple, Miller dropped a couple. And yep. it was all, all, all along the line, Gabriel, until he got, you know, how many games did Gabriel uh, miss because of uh, a lot. Four con- or his five. concussions, you know, plus, plus the games that he was playing in that he didn't finish. So right. he didn't finish the Washington game. He didn't finish the last game before he went out with a concussion. So, yeah. you know, he lost. He, we lost him for you know, probably six games out of the season. And you're right, he, you know, you go all the way back to last year where, you know, he, he caught some balls, but he, he didn't catch them right. He ended up missing scores that he should have. The, the one catch against Minnesota at the last game of the year last year where he jumped prematurely and ended up getting tackled inside the five-yard line where if he runs through the ball, he catches it and has an easy touchdown. Uh, so there's there's – there's these these nagging little things that this wide receiver core does or doesn't do that made a big difference between the success of 18 and the failure of uh, of 19. So yeah. Uh, hey, wow, I was gonna-
0: just looking at Taylor Gabriel. He he missed a lot. I didn't even think it was this many games. He only played nine games. Like that's crazy. I really and- thought I really thought he had played like 10 or 11. But he only played nine games, three hundred and fifty-three yards, twenty-nine catches, four touchdowns. Yeesh.
1: You know, and he had three of those touchdowns in one game.
0: One game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just I can't see him coming back. Like
1: Not for, not for the money that's invested in him. Yeah, you know, no. the 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 key to the the receiver core uh is Burton. Yep. yeah if Burton can come back and be the guy that we saw in 18', where it was, he was versatile, uh, he had some great touchdown grabs, uh, the, yeah. the, especially the opening touchdown drive against Tampa last year, which started that whole six touchdown game for trubisky, uh, right. that started the whole thing off and, and you know that guy it was gone. This year. You know, we did. We had one game, one game out of 16 where the tight ends had a definite contribution to the game, and that was to game.
0: Yeah.
1: That was it. That yeah. was it. So with that, next week on our show, we'll go over championship Sunday. We'll talk a little bit more. Hopefully, the Bears will have finalized their coaching staff and special guest. Uh, Zach Pearson from bearreport.com is going to be joining us live, even though this is a recorded show, but we're going to record him live, uh, like we do most of our guests, on the next episode of Halitech Hall. We want to thank our special guest this week, uh, the one and only Jack Silverstein from Windy City Gridiron. I want to thank my partner, co-host, and producer Aaron Torricelli, And, of course, our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And most of all, I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining in the Halitech Hall Show. Have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks very much, everybody.
0: Have a great week.